The Competitive 40K Network presents Art of War. Art of War. Strategy and tactics. Discussions with the best players on the planet. Now your host, Nick Nanavati. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Art of War podcast. I'm your host, Nick Nanavati, and this week we're going to be doing something a little bit different. We actually are covering our recent victory uh, back-to-back wins at the American Team Championships. Yay, Art of War. So in this, we're going to talk to one of our teammates, uh, our newest of all, Quentin. What's up, everyone? Hey, I'm excited to be here. I'm excited to have you here, Quentin, as well. And we're going to get Quentin's perspective as a new Art of War coach, as a new Art of War teammate, um, on being on the Art of War team. We're going to discuss our team composition, our approach to list building, all of that jazz. And uh, in part two of this wonderful two-part show, that's only going to be available to patrons, we're going to talk about how each list individually functions. So real quick, I'm playing GSC. Quinn, what'd you play? I played Eldari. Of course you did. Yeah. And then we've got John on Custodes, Jack on Green Knights of all things, and Richard Siegler on Death Watch. So in part two, we're going to cut each of those five different coaches, their perspectives on how they play those armies, why they took what they took, and how it all works together. So if you're interested in that, you can sign up on AOW40K.com. Uh, it's five bucks a month. It really helps me keep doing the show. This is episode 202, and I couldn't do it without you. So thank you so much for everybody. And uh, Quinn, let's get into this. I'm so excited. I love being on this podcast. I love having you on this podcast. You're a great guest. Thank you. You're welcome. Yeah. So why don't you introduce yourself a little bit? You know, you've, you've been on the show before, but it's been a few months, and you're a brand new Art of War coach who's available for coaching now. I am, yeah. I'm really, I'm very excited about that. I got my first client. That's awesome. I know, yeah. So um, if you don't know me, I am Quentin Johnson, um, fast movement shooty player of a variety of factions, um, newest member here of Art of War. I do all, all kinds of stuff. I edit some videos, won a bunch of GTs, um, plays really highly to a bunch of super majors. Just won ATC with the uh, Art of War team. Generally a pretty okay player to K player. That's awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. So you've been on a few other teams in mm-hmm. your 40K career. I have. We even played you last year and I beat you personally. You I did. <laughs> you 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 raffle stomped me. I did. I yeah. did. So you've come quite a long way as a player. What's that journey been like for you? So it's been a really interesting kind of like... Uh, I feel like every time I like... I've had a couple of like plateaus and then like a breakthrough and like I've ascended to a level, new level. So when I first started playing, I was like very much a like one in four kind of like player who would run random stuff and sometimes I'd win two games at a local RTT and if I did, it was a you know it was a good day. Um, and then I took a couple months off to go to college and I, I came back um, and I took the game a lot more seriously and I was like, how do I really get good at this game? What do I need to do? So I started really focusing on building lists that were cohesive, that had a you know firm goal in mind. Uh, typically, that just meant you know I'd go online and Google whatever Art of War one, and I would just copy and paste that into BCP for the next RTT. Um, and I got a bunch of practice, went to an RTT. I was old enough to like drive and stuff there, um, and I got pretty good. And that was kind of where I was, where I was very regularly going four and one or, you know, X and one at a super major. Uh, sometimes I broke through, I'd win a GT or something like that, but I wasn't really like, I was a good player, but not a truly excellent player. And that was kind of where I was for a while. And I feel like being here at the house, um, moving in, moving to where we are, 
and um, playing against you guys really regularly now that I'm an Art of War coach, I feel like it's really leveled up my game again, where just the way I think about things are very different. Um, there's an approach to Warhammer that has a lot of playing against the other player and like starting to think about what you guys want to be doing in your turn, um, as well as what I want to be doing in my turn, but also planning out the game as a whole instead of focusing on what is happening in a single individual turn and designing lists not for one aspect, but be multidimensional. Um, that all sounds like really relatively complex stuff, you know, seeing multiple turns ahead, yeah. a multidimensional list instead of just being like, I shoot you off the table is my only strategy. Mm -hmm. Those things um, take time and skill and reps or whatever to develop. Yeah. Like you even said you progressed from wherever you were to mm -hmm. building lists that way and playing against opponents that way and thinking turns ahead. How did you develop those skills? Really? Um... I think it was a combination of playing against players who had those kind of skills and without them, I just kind of kept losing and I don't really like losing. Yeah. So I, I did what I needed to do to survive, you know, like it's a really competitive meta here, right? Like if you're, if your regular daily opponents are, you know, John Lennon and Jack Harpster, uh, sooner or later, either you lose every game or you get, you get, you get better. Right. Um, I think also having people that I look up to who can guide me and sometimes when, even when we're playing John or Jack will be like, why did you do that? Mm -hmm. Right? Like what was the purpose behind that move? And not just like question it, but make me articulate and explain why I did that. And so that's something I've been doing a lot by myself is whenever I make a move that I'm questioning, I'm like, why am I doing this? Right? Mm -hmm. Even if it's small, like why is this Viper moving here? Yeah. Right? So there was a game against brad at atc the final um where it ended up, he the game started going really well for me and then ended up going really poorly for me on turn two so it ended it went from being a huge swing to gonna end up being really close um and i had like i was getting kind of a really scrappy point he had a couple of stuff left and i had a i had a viper left that was not critical to my plan mm -hmm. and i was like what am i gonna do with this viper and typically i would be like all right it's gonna move here and it's gonna shoot something right but i was like I might need this Viper to score one of the objectives on the center. So I'm going to pre-measure it so that I know this Viper can go here. And that is why this Viper is standing here. Um, not for any particular reason, because next turn I might need it. And I ended up drawing um, Cleanse next turn. And the Viper, and the Viper was arranged to go do Cleanse. That's awesome. And that's I ended great... up getting the points to get the 11-9. That's such a beautiful story, quite. Oh yeah. my god. That's like literally an extraneous unit that doesn't really do anything with purpose at this time. Like you didn't draw a card for your Viper now. It, not much resources left. It's got a Brightlands. That's got to be useful. Mm -hmm. Every roll hit, every roll room, Fate Dice. And instead of just like moving at someone shooting it, you thought about all of its possibilities for the future. Mm -hmm. And it's it's... Honestly, I would say for myself, because obviously I started as like someone who sucked too and, mm -hmm. you know, better through time. Part of it is what you said, articulating it. Like I found through coaching people and having to answer their questions and articulation that they can understand. Um, I've had to be able to codify pretty much the game of Warhammer to a degree. Mm -hmm. So if you can try to articulate your plans, that helps a lot. And then also... If you just make yourself consciously aware and always ask the question why, like you said, like if, if you don't have your opponent necessarily asking why did you do that, that doesn't mean you can't answer that question yourself. If you answer why you're doing a certain move, you might find there's a better way to use that unit, like yeah. you said. And I think another thing that has also been helping me is being like, what happens if this doesn't happen, right? What do you mean? Um, like, say I want to put two fire prisons worth of shooting at a gladiator lancer. 
Mm -hmm. Odds are very good that Gladiator Lancer dies. Mm -hmm. But, like, if I reroll a one into a one, and then, you know, my opponent makes two out of four six-up saves... It lives. They lives, right? Um, So what, like... Like, if it lives, like, am what I screwed? Like, how, are my guys in the open exactly. in front of the gladiator? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Totally. So it's... This is what we're talking about when redundancy plans. The first fire prism could kill a gladiator, but that's unreliable. So the second one is redundancy on that fire prism. But redundancy for the whole plan of kill the gladiator is don't put anything in the open of where it could be. Yep. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, you put the one prism out that can leave. Yeah. Right? Like, so... That's the other thing that I think has really helped me level up is that redundancy of I really should be okay, but just in case I'm going to do this extra thing. And there were a couple of times um, in practice games or at ATC where I was like, I really should be okay, but like, I'm not going to do it. Same game against Brad. I was like, I had my Wraith Knight pointed at a couple of Squig Hog boys and I was like, this Wraith Knight with Fate Dice and Guide really should kill those guys. But what happens if it doesn't? Well, I'm kind of screwed. So I took Warp Spiders and I moved blocked where they could go. And even if they survived, they had to move two inches and charge Warp Spiders and they couldn't hit anything relevant. Right. Yeah. That's the kind of stuff that really separates, I would say, the people who hit that ceiling at like four and one often, right? Because over the course of five games, six games, eight games, stuff just goes wrong. Like, Mm -hmm. I don't know how to tell you this. Like, as many games as you got lucky, you also get unlucky. It's real. But what we say when we don't blame dice is you could have always done something better. And your examples, like putting Warp Spires to move block the thing that's nine times out of ten dead, is you putting yourself in a position to not lose one out of ten times. Exactly. Yeah. And that's how you get these kinds of results. And those are both are both things that I'm trying to work on. But before I would never, I'd be like, well, I should kill you nine times out of ten, so I'm just going to go with that, right? And if I roll bad, then I roll bad. So here's my next question then. Presumably in this example, just to carry you a little forward, those warp spiders could have done something else. They don't have to be a move block for something that's probably not going to be there. They can mm-hmm. go maybe do a secondary or maybe go kill something or add firepower where it's probably going to be more valuable, um, assuming the big hogs are dead to the Wraith Knight. Mm-hmm. What... How do you evaluate their opportunity costs and decide this is the job that I need to do? So here's my thinking in that specific case. I was like, the game was getting kind of scrappy at that point, And I, my biggest advantage going into it was I had an 18 wound Wraith Knight. Had taken no damage. Mm-hmm. Um, and I realized that as long as the Wraith Knight was alive, the game was never going to get worse than a 10-10. Because the Wraith Knight Because just... it can always hold a point against anything Brad has, or, you know, my opponent had. And it was always going to kill at least a unit a turn. Right? Between mm-hmm. shooting and fighting was going to do something. Yeah. And that's a couple minimum points on primary. You can score some secondaries. As long as the knight is alive, it's okay. Um, and so I was like, what is my lose condition? What what has to happen for this game to really flip on me and to me to lose a bunch of points and for it to become like a 317? Yeah. Um, and I was like, well, the Wraith Knight has to die. So I, I basically planned my turn out and I was like, I need there to be a 0% chance the Wraith Knight dies this turn. Mm-hmm. And the spiders had to be there because if he just whiffed, I rolled two shots into two misses, and the Squid Cog boys survived, well, they could go and kill that Wraith Knight. Right. If, you know, Mazrog walks up and bangs an 11 in charge, they could kill the Wraith Knight. Yeah, you could all of a sudden lose the mm-hmm. game. So you're basically, instead of going for upside, and like, mm-hmm. a, you know, Wraith Knight kills here, rest of army kills this thing, this thing, this thing, and, you know, the Orc army's dead, it's turn two. Mm-hmm. You're like, let's just make sure the Wraith Knight doesn't die, and no matter what happens, I can't really lose this game. Yeah. Yeah. And that kind of thinking, it's very reverse thinking. And I actually was talking to um, Brad Weir from Pro Tabletop. Uh, he's, if not the captain, one of the higher ups on that team. He's been on there forever. And he's a great player. He's playing Eldar also. Mm-hmm. And he lost his game to Jack. And he actually felt very 
um, I guess, defeated because he felt that he had lost pairings to us. And I asked him, where did you think pairings go wrong? And I also would agree that we had won pairings against their team. Mm -hmm. um, and he said that when they first defended with his Eldar, Mm -hmm. um, they expected me to attack with my Gene Steer cult and, you know, something else attacks. And he wanted to accept my Gene Steer cult. He had some sort of trap developed in his Eldar list for my Gene Steer cult. And I had not even necessarily foreseen that, to be candid with you. I just thought a better attack would be saving me for later and using, I believe he put John and Jack in him mm -hmm. or something. And, uh, or Richard and Jack. I don't know. And he accepted Jack and he ended up losing that game by three. That is what it is. But... When I was talking to him after the fact, he said, well, you just didn't fall for our trap. And that kind of thinking is thinking about, like, how do I beat them? It's, mm -hmm. you know, they fall into my trap and I win. It's not thinking, how do I lose? They avoid my trap and I have no recourse. Exactly. And you're, you're, that thinking shift of not how do I win, but how do I lose is pretty much pushed you to get better and better and better. Mm -hmm. I think that's one thing I always have kind of started to evaluate in game is especially in team format, is what is my loss condition here, right? Yeah. For my Eldar, a lot of... In most games, it's the Wraith Knight dies. Um, so, like, round one, I deployed it too aggressively, and it ended up dropping down to four wounds remaining. Yeah. Um, top of one. And I was like, crap. So that the entire rest of the game became... The Wraith Knight has to, like... I had to, like, sacrifice pieces and have very particular move blocks so Magnus could not arrive within 32 inches and shoot the Wraith Knight, right? Yeah. That no one could get near it. That if, so, you know, a squad of Terminators could move and double move near it, they had to be in combat with something so they, they couldn't shoot the Wraith Knight. And the Wraith Knight, you know, survived for a while and then ended up you know, doing what it needed to do. I love what you just said there. What is my loss condition? I feel like so many gaming channels, gaming philosophies, all that centers around identifying your win condition. Mm -hmm. um, but you, you total opposite approach, which I do generally agree with. What is the difference between a win condition and a loss condition to you? Mm -hmm. So I think, so win can, I, these are things I, I evaluate not as like a single unified thing, but as very independent things. And I can talk about my thinking on that later. Um, but a loss condition is, like, if X happens, the game ends basically on the spot, and at that point, I'm in survival mode. Mm -hmm. So, for my Elder List, it's losing the Wraith Knight too early. Yeah. For, like, my Talos previously, it was losing both Crisis Bricks too early. Mm -hmm. um, for, like, uh, my ninth Edition Eldar List that relied, it would be, like, losing um, my Farseers before yeah. they could cast so spells. It's like, how do you lose the game, game. as opposed to how do you win the game? Exactly. What... what moves basically what do you what is your this can never happen and i'm willing to do anything in this game to prevent this from happening but if if you are following the you're creating essentially a different we'll call it a win condition yeah where it's like if you keep your wraith knight alive forever you'll win the game mm -hmm. but that's not inherently true no, if you not. score more points than your opponent you win the game so you know a win condition is identified to points in exactly in game terms so i that's why i said things are different right like it's it's less about if I do these two things, I will win. It's more that if I do these two things, I probably, like, the if, if my opponent does these things, they basically get, like, a checkmate and win automatically. Yeah. Right? So those are, those things have to happen at all times, right? Those are the kind of the baseline, like, my heart is beating, my lungs are breathing, we are we are surviving this Wraith game. Wraith Knight is alive, I'm alive. Uh, exactly. Yeah. Right. Now what does the Wraith Knight have to be doing for me to win the game? Mm -hmm. So, like, I know in the GSC, every time I've won that, I've played the game a bunch. Every time I've won that matchup, it involves the Yinkarn killing or someone killing Ridge Runners really early. Because if that happens, 
it takes them an annoying amount of effort to kill my tanks. Right. And they probably don't kill the tanks and the Wraith Knight. Right. And the Incarn. And at that point, I have enough stuff left alive, and, like, the tanks can start swide-siping into neophyte units, and then, like, shooting them in combat, plus a tank shock, plus beating them up with my hull. Maybe, like, I kill a bunch, and then, like, I can take objectives back from them. So basically, you it's not that you don't think about your win condition. It's no. that you actually normally thought about your win condition. I think that's a way a lot of people play. Mm-hmm. Like, what should I be doing with my army to win the game? Killing these tanks, standing on these objectives, whatever. Exactly. And that's important. But then how do you progress from there? You can't just keep thinking about it more. You think in reverse. Yes. You add the how do I lose. And you let that be your guiding light. Like, obviously, you can't get checkmated early. Mm-hmm. So have to, as you put it, have your lungs breathing, your Wraith Knight alive, whatever your army needs to function. Mm-hmm. In that match. And then beyond that, you know, go secure the secondary. Go kill that unit that is going to help you. Try to break your opponents back and make them experience that loss condition. Yeah. So it's kind of like a, it's, it's, it's a combination of making sure you your opponent does not achieve the loss condition and that you're achieving the broad win condition. And a lot of times that just means that you're scoring your secondaries, you're killing what you need to kill, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right, so let's transition the conversation a little bit, and that's been very helpful. And obviously, you can see through the way Clinton's even talking about the language here, um, the the words you're using, like the way you've transformed as a player over the last time you were on the show, and mm-hmm. you know, the, the, a year ago when you were trying when I played you at ATC. Yeah. Um, so as we progress, we had to come up with our team composition, and tenth edition is brand new. Mm-hmm. Like ATC, they were trying to figure out their rules the week of the tournament. You know, yeah. it's it it was. Kind of crazy. So how do we come up with a team composition for this from your perspective? So I think we we had a lot of meetings where we sat down about this. We had two or three in my mind. Mm-hmm. We had a few... I think I was the only person who was locked in because A, my favorite army is Eldar. I'm great. And they're incredible right now, right? Yeah. So, so it was a combination of we had a good Eldar player and Eldar one of the best, and we knew we wanted Eldar on the team, so I was really easy. I'm playing Eldar. No one really questioned that. I felt fairly locked in as well. I wanted to play Demons, but, you know, we all knew I was playing GSC because the same, same thing. I'm great on GSC, and GSC are great. Yeah. So really the only question was Siegs, Jack, and John. Mm-hmm. And we kind of had Death Watch, Custodes, uh, Tau, Grey Knights, and Thousand Suns kind of floating. And even Necrons. And even Necrons yeah, for yeah. a while, too. Um, but there was kind of a lot of, uh, like, Death Watch got passed around a couple of times. Um, Jack was always going to be on... He was um, Thousand Suns until, like, like the last The week. last minute, yeah. yeah. It was Thousand Suns or Grey Knights. Um, and a lot of that came down to what he was taking, WTC. But we ended up going with the same choice because that was a good, like... What works in one will work in the other. Mm-hmm. Um, what we found was that Thousand Suns are great, really strong, but they didn't solve any problems that we needed them to solve, and they opened us up to a lot of really bad matchups, right? Yeah. They have a terrible GSC matchup, just like abysmally bad. So we didn't want that. And so Thousand Suns just didn't offer us anything special. They didn't blow people out of the water. Um, and... They, we kind of had to baby them pairings. We also, this was very theoretical, right? Like, we don't have that much experience with it. John Jack have not played in tournaments yet. And yeah. I think you either. I had not. Yeah, and Richard, I was the only person who actually had a tournament rep before mm-hmm. this ATC. And 
a lot of it was based on your testing for WTC, mm-hmm. which is essentially testing against the highest caliber of opponent you could possibly play. So if your if our language about like thousand tons don't blow people out of the water, they definitely will if you don't know how to counter them. Yeah. But if they, you know, this was all assuming we're playing against like the top teams there. Yeah. So our, our assumption was that when I say, oh, you know, X doesn't happen or X will happen, the assumption is that the person piloting both armies is one of the best in the whole world at those respective armies. At least as far as we can see. Yes. Yeah. Right. Um, and we found Necrons had a pretty similar issue, is that they, they're very slow and kind of clunky, and they don't put up a lot of times huge differentials, and they can also just kind of die, and they're pretty easy to bully. So we didn't want thousands of the Necrons. And it felt like with Necrons, they, they had a ceiling of like armies that couldn't kill them, and then yes. beyond that, it's like, oh... Well, I killed your Lich card. I killed your warriors. Now mm-hmm. your army has nothing left. Yep. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so that basically just left us with custodies, and they just won Tacoma. So we, we kind of put them on the table, and we were like, okay, these guys are really strong. Having played against custodies at the turn, I was a big proponent of custodies. Like, we should play this army. They're very, it's very good. good. Yeah. Um, they're one of those armies that's just a little bit too good at everything, but not in- too good at any one thing. They're just like... There's like a couple too many guys, and they're a little bit too durable, and they hit too hard in combat, they're a little bit too fast, and they shoot a little bit too hard, yeah. all those things. And John's a natural fit for Custodies, he pretty much plays them whenever you have a tournament that warns Custodies, yeah. and does well. Um, Death Watch was interesting. Death Watch is also John's baby, but we only have one John, of course, mm-hmm. and Siege was trying to find a home after we've kind of came up with the Necron ceiling problem. Mm-hmm. Um, so Siege was like, hey, Death Watch are up my alley. He loves shooting people to death. He loves teleporting and being in control with infiltrators. Um, so he basically went in with zero games of Death Watch. Yeah, he had no practice. He had that. no practice. Yeah. Uh, that probably showed a little bit. He finished mm-hmm. three and three. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but he's obviously, his losses weren't bad. He was like getting nines and sevens. Yeah. Like, they were great. Um, and he wasn't getting matchups when he, like he was... His list was tailored to hunt GSC. I think he got it once. He got it once and he got a 20. Yeah. Like, yeah. Um, triple infiltrators and desolators is a hell of a problem for mm-hmm. GSC. Yeah, Richard was kind of the person in our pairings matrix that didn't really get protected or given anything. He just kind of, he fell to the scrum like a lot. Just yeah, got I basically was like, Richard avoids Eldar and then he gets what he gets. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, and then Jack's army is the wildest, I would mm-hmm. say. Um, definitely, I still don't really understand it. I know it's some WTC conglomeration. Thankfully, we're releasing this episode during WTC, so we're not revealing any trade secrets before it's time. Mm-hmm. Um, what, what's up with Jack's list? So I have played that list and played against that list. It is so unassuming. You're like, oh, it's 30 Terminators. It's going to walk at you slowly, and then it's going to hit you not that hard with some Stormbolters and Snipe Cannons, and then you're going to shoot it to death and you're going to die. Mm-hmm. That list is so frustrating. What's What does it do? It has every movement trick any army has ever had smushed into one ball. And this is 30 Terminators. This is 30 Terminators. Yeah. So it's one of those things where, like, imagine an army that is twice as movement tricky as Eldar, but when you catch it with its pants down, you're not shooting T3, 5-up save idiots. You're shooting 3 wounds, toughness 5, 4-up invuln, 2-up save, armor contempt, in-cover bodies. So they don't die to random stuff, right? Yeah, I mean, this is just like, it blows my mind that this ar- how this army works. I really don't grasp it still. Mm-hmm. Um, but in part two, we're going to have Jack literally yeah. here to break it down um, and exactly what his granite army does. So basically what, it's never an army that is like, I'm going to punch you in the face and then you're going to die. It's like, 
I'm going to punch you in the side five times with 30 Terminators because you're never going to hit me. Yeah, it, it like leaves as you attack it and then it goes in reserve. So, it, But it's not great at primary because it keeps leaving the table. There's enough stuff there. So what ends up happening is that like he'll like leave, he'll like mists of Dimos away and then immediately rapid ingress on a different objective. I barely know the words you're saying. We're going to get Jack on here to explain yeah, Jack this. Explain Jack, Jack, it's um, basically, the, the, basically what it is is there's 30 Terminators that are exactly where you are not mm-hmm. hitting all of your weak stuff. Yeah. Yeah. It ships away at you for sure. What's the purpose of it in our team's composition, would you say? So it really very rarely gets blown out of the water except for by GSC. Yeah, we learned that. Um, we learned that real early. Um, with the, did you know you played the only GSC player who had like reps against Grey Knights? Yeah, yeah. It, it was wild. Um, <laughs> um, there was a whole element of no one knows what Grey Knights do, like as clearly. And yeah. then he played someone who absolutely knew what they did. His exact was point for point. Yeah. <laughs> it was my fault. That's hilarious. <laughs> um, so. What it does is it gets Thames into, like, everything, like Custodes yeah. and Eldar. We were and... using it to blunt those. Like, everyone yeah. knows what the best factions in the game are. It's not a secret. We've been talking about it on this podcast for weeks now. Mm-hmm. And that means the other teams are going to have them, and you have to have an answer. And if your answer is fight fire with fire, pair Custodes into Custodes, or play in Eldar, play Eldar, it's not really a great plan. It's kind of a 50-50 type of plan. You can hope you play better, but there's, there's an element of Wraith Knight versus Wraith Knight, which is who shoots first. Yeah. And also, like, sometimes your Wraith Knight rolls two shots and there's roll six. So. Yeah, like, it, you just are welcoming the variance in a mirror match like that. So instead of embracing that, we tried to get ahead of the plan, and this is where Gra- Jack's really... I mean, I don't know how he came up with this army. We'll get him to explain all that, but that's where... His army came in awesome because we were like, oh, go fight Custodes, go fight Eldar, and he'd come out with wins. Yep. Yeah. No, it's very, very tricky. And it just does a, it does a lot more than you'd expect it to, but it's very different than you think it would be. It is a movement-based shenanigans army disguised as worse custodies. So all in all, our team composition was my Gene Stealer cult, John's Custodes, Jack's Grey Knights, Richard's Death Watch, and Quentin Your Eldar. Yes. What was, I guess, our positions on that team in your perspective? So I felt going down the line that you, or me, absolutely, was our biggest attacker. Yeah, you came my, home with 20s. My, yeah, that was, my goal was you guys set me up to go get like a 17, 20, yeah. really high score. You're going to go play the Oryx and go demolish them. Exactly. Playing Space Marines that have no answer to a Wraith Knight and killing them. Yeah. Yeah. Um, John was our, we're going to throw you out first and you're going to get what you get, Defender. Yeah. Right? You pick a heavy board and you say, I am 30 custodian guard, shields up. Yeah. You're not shooting me to death. I'm 30 custodian guard on objectives. Like, even if you beat me, is not going to be It's a nine. Yeah. yeah. Um, and oftentimes he won games. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Jack was another one of our defender choices. As long as we kept him on a GSC, we could put him into basically anything and he'd get a respectable score or draw in that area. I would say Jack, Richard, and I were all kind of attackers because yeah. you can only have so many defender spots. So John was our first defender. And like what would happen was we would attack somebody with Quentin Zeldar and any of the three of us. Mm-hmm. Um, us being me, Richard, and Jack. Mm-hmm. And... They could either accept the the Quentin Wraith Knight Donkey Punch, or they would try to play a game into whichever of our choice, Grey Knights, Custodes, or GSC, you know, that they would take instead. And this this would put them between a rock and a hard place, because you could either accept Quentin's Brutality, or you 
you know, play our choice of that matchup. And that could be Death Watch blowing you up. That could be my GSC showing up inside of you. Or that could be Jack waving his hands a lot. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what that looks like. He, like, and, waves his hand, and then the scoreboard's up 50 points. Yeah. Canvas. Yeah. And oftentimes, this is how we would end up with, like, they defended with Custodes. That's a pretty popular move, because, again, shields up. Yeah. Um, and then we attack with Quentin's Eldar, because, like, they'll still shoot you with the Wraith Knight. And we attacked with, like... Jack's custodies, or maybe we attacked with my GSC, and I'm going to find you with my demo charges or Jack's Jack's uh, gray knights. Yeah, and they often pick Jack's gray knights. They did, and that's how Jack ended up blunting all these custodies players. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that was cool. And then Richard really fell to the wolves. He just yeah, he played whatever he got stuck with. Well, like uh, he was the one. He just as long as he kept him out of like we were like. Anything but double Night Spinner Eldar. Well, he, he really was our GSC attacker. So a lot of times people would go second defender Gene Steeler Cole. Mm-hmm. And we would say, here's Richard's triple infiltrator desolators, and here's me. Yeah. And and most times the pot like Pro Tabletop and um Death or Glory, they those two teams are who played in the semifinals and the finals, both put us in the GSC mirrors, of which I am the patriarch. Yep. Eleven nine. Eleven nines. But that's it's kind of, again, rock and hard place. Like, their GSC, one of the strongest armies in the games, it's not getting a good match. No. And that's, if I'm, we're blunting your GSC with probably me, we're blunting your custodies with Jack, John's fighting your Eldar and has every wall in the world, mm-hmm. and then Sieg's is playing some weird match like Demons or Necrons or something, and yeah. then Quentin Feasting over here off. is, <laughs> whatever, poor soul. Quentin gets the leftovers <laughs> yeah. with his Wraith Knight cannons. <laughs> And basically, the whole strategy was like, we're all really good at this game, more or less. At least mm-hmm. we try to be. And we're going to put ourselves in positions where we're going to be able to play a game of Warhammer competitively, yeah. with no matter what they set up. GSC Mirror, as crazy as it is, there's a lot of tactics you can employ. In the Custodes versus Elder games, John could hide and use his weird deep strike rapid ingresses. Siegs and whatever matchup he got, he have super flexible army with land speeders, infiltrators, teleports, go play a game of Warhammer. Jack with his Grey Knights, I don't still don't know what it does, but he's definitely playing some version of Warhammer. Yep. And Quentin, Quentin, he doesn't have to play Warhammer. <laughs> <laughs> just roll sixes. <laughs> he just rolls sixes and orcs die. <laughs> my record for the weekend was 29 mortal wounds in a single activation. Most, my scores are around when I got a 20 against yeah. some Chaos Knights. But after that, 12, 11, 12, 11, 11. Yeah. You know, I'm here to draw so that you can win. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But a lot of times that's what team turns about. It's about the holistic picture. There's a lot of teams that might get their egos involved and be like, everyone tries to get a win. If everybody tries to get a win, that's how your team loses. No. I think that's one thing we did a really good job as a team was that everyone knew what their goal was going into the round. And sometimes we were like, Sorry, John, you need to eat crap and die. Yeah, right. <laughs> and John would be like, all right, shields up. Shields <laughs> yeah. up. It's like, Jack, there's no home for you. Fuck <laughs> the Gene Steeler Colts. Go. Go. Yeah. I love that about our team. There was just like an understanding we are a team. Some mm-hmm. people are going to lose some games. Some people are going to win some games. Win as a team, lose a team. We, I, think, I think the most important thing was that we collectively – valued our performance in the game much less than we valued our performance as a team, right? right? Like the team doing well was way more important than us individually doing well in a game. Yeah. Right? Like if we were like, I, I got a nine out of the terrible matchup, let's go, you guys. Everyone yeah. like rally around and be like excited about yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like when I got 11 in the Gene Steeler Cult Mirror, I was like, like yeah! We were all cheering. Like, yeah, it was great. At the, I remember against um, Tundra Tactics in round four. This is probably our toughest round. Oh, by say. far, by far. Um, that game came down to one 
battle point in my game. Yeah. yeah. I, well, yeah. so there were two things that happened. Well, that that round was very specific. We lost three out of five games. Yeah. But we actually won this round, and that's because margin of victory matters more than number of wins. It's mm-hmm. a team format dynamic. Yeah. And we set it up same idea where we have four games. And then Quentin smashes. But Quentin smashing in this case was against Gene Stealer Colt. Yeah. And Eldar don't really smash Gene Stealer. Really Colt. don't. So Eric is a one probably the best player on their team, if not the second best. He's very, very good. Yeah, I mean Andrew Gagne is also up there, but yeah. their, their team has got five sharks. Oh, yeah, yeah. There, there was no one on that team that is easy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um but yeah, like that that matchup, I think we had a seven on the Matrix. Is what I gave you? Yeah, and that's yeah. we're always trying to be conservative with our estimations. And remember, this is the 0-20 scale, so 7 is like a minor loss. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So typically what we would also do is that we would be like, our, the 7 that I, I would say, okay, this matchup's a 7, is very unlikely to go below a 7, right? Yeah. But I'm probably going to get a couple more points, yeah, right? Yeah, like, you know, 7, it's not going to be worse than a 7, so plan accordingly, but, you know, likely you can get a 10 or yeah, a 12. Yeah, 11. But he made a deployment error, and you, you brought home the 20 we needed you to bring home. So that is a, a what I was talking about earlier is the, the win condition, loss condition there. The win condition in that game for me was I had to go super aggressive and the turns that GSC take off. Yeah, I needed so I needed to blunt his drop turn by removing resources early, mm-hmm. and so he didn't have ridge runners. He didn't have the extra AP. He had to divert stuff to go take back his home field, which meant my castle, my stuff was protected. Nice, yeah. And then that ended up being sort of enough because, like, essentially, Richard and I got ourselves into not mirror matches or into mirror matches where he played Death Watch versus Death Watch, and I played my GSC versus Brad Townsend's Tyranids, which is also just a million bodies mm-hmm. and shooting. So. That netted us. I got a 12-8. Richard lost 11-9. So mm-hmm. we were up one point, one point there. But then Jack and John, who are usually our, our defender-y type blunters, mm-hmm. um, they both took losses. John lost 14-6 to Cameron's Eldar, which, you know, John shields up. Sometimes you just get shield, shields down. Yeah. Um, Sometimes the Wraith doesn't care. <laughs> I mean, Cameron's a great player, too, so nothing yeah. to take away there. And then Jack... Um, he got a 13-7 loss to Andrew Gagne, which is hilarious because he played Custodes like three or four times that tournament, and I think he won them the other three times. Yep. But just a testament to Andrew Gagne as a player. He's not letting it up. So we ended up winning that round 55-45, which is the bare minimum you can win. 54-46 to 46 is a draw. Yeah. Yeah, so that was – as the person who was the last one to finish for once, and, you know, my game was looking like a 10-10 the entire time, but at the end of the game, I, you know, pull out all the stops to try to get those points, ended out with a 12-8, and we needed a 12. That felt great. Yeah. No, I know I know my game was like, I, it was going to look like like a, a 19-1, and then I drew Storm, ho- Capture Hostile Objective, or whatever, the one that told your opponent, and I was like, oh, I can get this if I, like, move and fire and fade onto it. Um... Mm-hmm. And then that gave me the fifty point margin I needed to get the wow the, yeah wow so like it, every every, every like it, it was it came down to like that's I want to I want to commend you for that because I think there's a lot of players who are like I got this game over easy mode I've been dominating since turn one and you fall short you get the eighteen or the nineteen mm-hmm. like no one's gonna be upset that you just got an eighteen or nineteen when you wrote down a seven mm-hmm. like that's already a celebration and a huge one but you did not let off the gas you've pushed that extra mile got the twenty on on that maneuver mm-hmm. and we needed it well eric the whole way through was fighting for every point mm-hmm. like he like the, his last couple turns i i done a pretty good job of tagging blips i was like moving and fire and fading in his turns but i could phantasm and then go get blips wow. like 
Um, I had a night speed on move like 40 inches in tax. Something was crazy. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Um, but he only had a couple of like minimum squads of guys left that he was like putting into reserves to show up and do actions and stuff. And yeah. I was taking like risky overwatch to kill two neophytes in the corner who were going to investigate signals and things like that. <laughs> yeah. Like, like You're even really pushing it for the we, points. We, yeah. we were both like fighting for every point. Even even it was down. And that's one of the most fun things about Team Turns is like I, Eric in that scenario has in a singles game, they would have been drinking beers by now. Oh, but mm-hmm. in um in teams, you know, that getting the one, like that would have cost us the entire round win. Might have cost us a tournament. Might have cost us a tournament. Yeah. You know, we razor's edge this thing was. So, I mean, in part two, we're gonna talk about everyone's list and how they played specifically. Quinn, I wanna ask you one last thing before I let you off. All right. Your experience playing on Art of War your mm-hmm. first time as opposed to your other teams in the past. What's different about it? So I had the absolute pleasure of going last year to um, ATC with Threat Level Midnight, my like hometown team that I used to be on. Um, every one of those guys is a friend of mine. I love them all to death. Um, we went in without really a plan. We kind of we we had like done like one or two pairings process in the car to like learn how you like put the cards down. Yeah. Um, but we all kind of had, like, the armies that we, like, liked. We didn't think of them cohesively as a unit. Um, we were just like, well, this army's pretty good, that army's pretty good, and it's probably fine. Mm-hmm. Um, and we didn't have, like, a, if they put this down, we're going to put these two down. Right. Kind of, like, a plan that, like, Art of War had. Um, I think also we didn't think about the game as a cohesive unit. We thought about the game as five singles games, right? Interesting. So well, what happened was... We, they had put down something, and we were like, well, you know, X and Y are pretty good into that, so we'll put those down. Mm-hmm. And they and then they'd give us two cards, and I'd be like, well, I'm pretty good into this, and I'm slightly better. I'd be like, well, I'm about equivalent into this, but I, I'd rather play this today, so I'm going to play this. Not thinking about how there was a cascading effect of, right. you know, armies are still available. Exactly, right? Like, say there's, you know, army A and B, and I get a 10-10 into both, but the two players who are left you know, both do way better into, you know, army B than I should take army A. So they have B. I'd be like, oh, I'm just going to take B just, you know, because it doesn't matter right now. Right. Right? They're both 10-10s. Right. Um, we also had a lot of, like, gut feeling instead of writing down. There was a lot more cohesive strategy around the pairings element um, this ra- this year than there was last year. Mm-hmm. Um, I think also just, like, having better players meant that we had a more... We had more of idea of how the round was going. Like, a, a, uh, you know, confidence in the score of the match. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, like, you know, if Jack or John put down a 10 or a 12, I'm, that's probably what it's going to be. Yeah, it's in, really in that neighborhood. Close. Yeah. They're not coming home with a 2. No. Yeah. It's like Except for GSC. Except for GSC. <laughs> but, like, add add 2 on either side, and that's about where it's going to be. Right. I think that was the case for pretty much all of us. I, I, I don't think we have... I think we had one or two matchups where we were off Matrix by more than two points. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and the whole event. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um... But when I played with TLM, um, we'd be like, that's okay. And then we'd get like, I had no idea what the matchup was going to be if it was a 20 or a zero, basically right. until the last round. <laughs> um, yeah, so I, I think just the level of like preparedness felt very different. Mm-hmm. And the level of we've done this before felt very different. I would say, you know, in terms of amount of effort put into this ATC prior compared to others, 
I would say we probably put less in only because we've been putting so much into learning 10th as a whole. And yeah. Teach and 10th. Like, I know Jack, John, and I put a lot of effort into WTC. Right. So we basically could just go look at, you know, Team America's matrices and be like, we think these matchups are here. It's probably pretty simple. Yeah. I guess from my perspective, you guys have done most of the work for me. We did a ton. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, thank you for that. Mm-hmm. I didn't even consider that. But that's true. That's absolutely true. So we did put a lot of time in as a team. Just John, Jack, and Quentin did the side on Team America. I will also say that I had... That's some like pretty fine, pretty easy, very standard like RTT games when I when I was there last year. I had some really hard games this year. There we had, yeah. I would say last year's ATC was miles easier than this one. Yeah, this one was a Shark Tank. We played Pro Tabletop. We played Tundra Tactics. We played Greater Evil. We played Death or Glory. All four of those teams are teams that could have won this tournament. Oh, absolutely. yeah. Like I said, Tundra. Tundra was like me not drawing a card away from winning, but that also means like every game was like every that. game was every like single that. game has that. like. That wasn't like, oh, I'm special. That was more like if John, you know, if Cameron rolls one more six into John and yeah. it becomes a 15-5 instead of a 14-6. I On turn one against Brad, I made a careless error, I would say, and I could have screened my whole deployment zone from his ability to put a spore mine in there. But I was like really just focused on hiding um, because I'm playing Gene Circles and focused on screening out turn two onward. So he found a small hole, deployed a teleport homer, and got five on turn one. That There's just no reason for that. And if that had cost us the round, man, I would have been kicking myself. But yeah. everybody has that. Right? Like, I know Andrew made, like, a YOLO 11 charge and, like, killed the Terminator or something. Like, if that doesn't happen... It's, like, yeah, Jack doesn't right? lose by three. Exactly. Mm-hmm. There's... The, when the rounds are so close, every every single little thing matters. And that's why Team 40K is so much more enjoyable as well. Because in a singles tournament, Jack and Andrew are playing. Andrew hits an 11 charge. This game is functionally over because Jack is now clawing from behind. And, mm-hmm. you know, he's not progressing through the tournament. And now Jack is playing for every point because all of our games still matter. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I have come to find Team 40K is the best way to play 40K. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Quentin... I think we should end it there. This right. is, we're gonna we're gonna move on to part two and talk about exactly how we played our games and what mm-hmm. we were looking for in the pairings and really what what we did to win this tournament on the table. Mm-hmm. So everybody, if you want to join us for part two, you can check that out on aow40k.com. It's our Patreon. It's five bucks a month to get not only access to part two of this podcast and all other two hundred episodes, you'll also get access to our amazing Discord server where you can literally talk to the Art of War coaches and get their insights on helps with your list. Quinn, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you for having me. You've been an absolute pleasure. Everybody, we will see you later. Like what you just listened to? Check out Art of War Down Under and Art of War Unbroken on the competitive 40K network. The Art of War 40K.com.